Welcome back, Ramble Nation, to another episode of the Living Numbers Podcast, where we use 2020 hindsight to give you perfect 10 stories to get you through your 11th hour. This week, we counted up with Anna Rieger, and she sums up the episode in these three points. How an accident can spring you to the next stage in life. Number two, how devastation causes action for change. And number three, how to figure out what businesses deserve your time. Of course, we close it out with the three what's and you don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening. And now, cue the intro. Okay, of course, when we have somebody on for the first time, I have to give them an elaborate introduction. And I actually have somebody that's local here, so that's always pretty fun. And we always make these local references and talk about stuff that uh, other people don't know about unless you're from where we are. So, hailing from Houston, Texas, our guest received her bachelor's from the University of Houston downtown. Our guest has been featured on the Great Day Houston Morning Show, the Houston Happens News Show, and many other publications, both in print and video, telling her story about moving out when she was 14 years old. This is crazy, 14 years old, and now owning and operating three companies from real estate to wigs, okay? She was presented with the John Connor Humanitarian Award in 2022, and her motto is never give up. Survivor, leader, difference maker. I present the Anna Rieger. Say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on today, Tony. Thank you for coming on, Anna. And I mentioned it in the introduction, you moving out at 14. And... The first question I thought of, and that's our number, everybody, 14. First question I thought of was, how do you have the foresight to go, this isn't the place for me? Because 14 is like eighth grade, ninth grade, and you make this life-changing decision to move out of your parents' home and to go and get in an environment that would make you better. How did you make this decision? And then guess where did it take you from there? How, how, how did life change? So, you know, my father was legally blind and we were very, very, you know, we struggled. We lived in poverty. And um, as, a, as a person that lives in that life, you don't get to be really, a, you don't have a lot of kid things that you get to do. I didn't get to do sports. I didn't get to stay after school. I had nobody to pick me up and drop me off. I didn't have those luxuries, right? And being the oldest of at that, that time, there was four and then the twins came along. But at that time, I was like the mom. I had to help. I had to do a lot. And it was just really hard. And then I never forget, you know, we were starting school. Uh, I was going to go. I think I was close to getting ready to go to high school. or middle. It was middle school, eighth grade, my last year. And my mom, you know, we went and put a layaway at the fire cell. And if anybody knows the fire cell, that's like less than Walmart, right? Um, and this true story, you know, and, and uh, I remember asking my mom, like, are we going to get to get our clothes? Because I didn't really have clothes. All of our stuff didn't fit us. And so she was like, no. We can't afford to get it. And at that time, I realized, like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't, I don't want to live this way. You know, I really don't. And 
um, I moved out. I just, one day I just got my backpack and, you know, I was being a teenager and I just didn't want to be a caretaker anymore. And I didn't want to have to cook every day. And I didn't want to have to do all those obligations that I had mm. besides being a teenager. So I packed my stuff and I took my backpack and I didn't go back and, you know, decided that I was going to go and fi figure it out. And of course I had someone that I moved with at the time and that was, you know, and then they had a friend and their friend was working at a foster home for special needs kids. And so I said, mm. Hey, do you think that they could use help? And I started working and I did not go back to school. I finished the eighth grade, but I didn't go back to school. And so, um, I started working there and the lady would pay me and, you know, kind of try to mentor me, the foster mom. And she had only special needs kids. So there was not really anybody else there and, and round the clock nursing and things. So I was around nurses and, you know, um, wow. Mrs. Walker who now passed away. Um, and so she mentored me and she would give me books to read and she would always tell me, you know, you're really smart, Anna, you should really go back to school. But for me, school wasn't really an option, right? I needed to work mm -hmm. to pay my bills, to stay living on my own. And uh, so I did. And then, you know, I was there and when I turned 21 is right when a, the big life altering actions happened, which was I got into a major car accident. I was, you mm. know, in the car and my designated driver, who was my boyfriend for many, many years at the time, and we had just turned 21 and, uh, you know, we got in this car accident and killed his best friend. Uh, my, somebody mm. else was put in a wheelchair um, they gave me three days to live. They read me my last rites and told my family that they needed to come say goodbye. And I got out of the hospital. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I literally couldn't walk and talk and basically was in a wheelchair. And, you know, this person was supposed to be designated. So I was like, okay, even if I can't walk or talk, I'm done. Like I'm out. So, you know, and that didn't, that just didn't, I went to so the back, right? There's the issue. I go back to my mom and dad, right? At the time. And I couldn't walk or talk. So my dad was really my caregiver. And, and I, and I look back now and I think it was really a, a blessing in disguise because, um, although, you know, I had that situation and all the surgeries that I went through, I didn't realize that mm -hmm. my dad was going to pass away the next, you know, two years from there, he passed away. And, and in that I was going back. So I was like, I got to get back on my own. I can't do this anymore. So I went back and started working, you know, two jobs and doing all that stuff and had to pay all the bills and, working double shifts at the foster home and I was driving to work uh, about two in the morning. They called me to go back after I already worked the full shift. And when I went mm -hmm. in, I fell asleep. Well, I was so tired. I was just working myself in the bone. Plus I was recovering and from my accident. And so got my face crushed because couldn't afford a really expensive car, had no airbag and my face was crushed. So when my face was crushed, I had to have many, many, many facial surgeries, rib grafts. I have three rib grafts for my nose just crazy. And, um, wow. so I went back to my dad and mom, they had to help take care of me. So, um, it was really difficult, you know, to go through those things. And in that time I realized like, I really, really want to do something different with my life. And that's when I decided that I would probably, I would go back to school. So you went and got your GED. How old were you? Oh, wow. I think I was 24 because it was right after wow. my father passed. And I said, you know, I want to make my dad proud. You know, I loved my parents very much. It wasn't not, not that mm -hmm. I didn't love my parents. It was just, there were six kids and I felt if I left, it may take, you know, be less of a burden for them. It would probably be easier on me, you know, to really get what I want and just go figure it out on my own. And so, you know, I would, I went back 
I, I didn't really go to classes for a GED. They said I had to take two tests or go into two. So I did. And then they told me I could go take mm -hmm. my GED. And I was like, oh boy. You know, so when I went to it, I said, I don't want nobody to know because if I don't pass this thing, it's going to really suck. <laughs> but, you know, when I was in school, I was an honor student. You know, that's the truth. The truth is I was an honor student. And so got my GED. And then I said, wow, then I, I didn't know much about college. You know, it really wasn't something on my radar as a kid or even when I was growing mm -hmm. up. But the foster mom would always tell me. So I went back. I tested at Houston Community College. And uh, they said I was at college level at everything except for math, which I was like, well, <laughs> I didn't go to high school, but I guess I guess that worked out for wow. me. <laughs> and I figured math because I didn't go to high school, so I didn't know any math past what I had already learned, mm -hmm. right? Which was not algebra, which I still to this day despise. But oh, anyway. <laughs> no, no algebra on this podcast. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> and so you know, I was going to go be a nurse. So I started going to school, got my associates from science from the Houston Community College, and then after that, I, I wanted to go to University of Houston. So I did. And at the time I was living in Sugarland, they had a little red school brick house. They still do apparently. And you can do remote sessions mm -hmm. on campus. So I went there and did my classes and, you know, got my, uh, I was going to be a nurse. And then when I was getting close to it, so I have a, a, the science classes that I was taking. And then, you know, they said, well, when you go into the nursing program, you'll need to do, you know, uh, clinicals and you'll need to do it. And I was like, I, I, I don't think I can really make that work with you know, actually having to work. And I, I just didn't see that right. being feasible or reasonable for myself at that time. So what I did was I started taking business classes and I really, really mm -hmm. liked it. I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is interesting, you know, marketing management, you know, so then I took entrepreneurship as my minor and uh, that's what I did. I went on and got my bachelor's of science from the university of Houston with a minor in mar marketing and business and entrepreneurship. And that's where I, you know, basically brought me to where I am today. Yeah. So when you were going through school, did you always know, even though you didn't, even though you kind of made this decision, like, okay, nursing is not going to be it. That's not the path. Did you still know that you wanted to do something maybe with children or with taking care of people? Because you, you basically, a lot of your experience was in those fields, maybe knowing that, okay, I like to do this kind of caring work. Um, so did you already know that? Did you have that in your mind already as you were going through these business classes? Um, well, I was really heartbroken, to be honest. I cried and mm. I was really not happy that I wasn't going to get to be a nurse because that's what I thought my calling was. I thought I was supposed to be taking right. care of special needs kids or kids that needed. I really wanted to take care of that community. So that was something that was that, that's all I knew. And so I didn't know that I would have other opportunities because I didn't have the experience to mm. really back me up. But. You know, I started working, um, helping friends at their businesses, you know, just managing the business. And I'm like, that's pretty easy, you know, and I got lucky and, you know, went into met someone that had a lot of businesses and wanted me to help and then offered me a partnership in a business. And that's how I got started originally. We talked earlier about making those connections and how important they can be for life, for where you're going. And sometimes it's, you don't even know what's coming, you know, around the corner, but you just maybe took a liking to somebody for one reason or another. You know, it might be, I like to eat at the same place, something as simple as that. And now it turns into an opportunity to be, you know, a businesswoman, you know, and grow these different businesses. So when did you kind of start to, wrap your mind around, okay, 
what's going to be my first business or what do I think could be my first business or how can I now use this business um, education to do something for myself? Because you are heartbroken. And eventually you get over it and you get into it and you start helping people. You go, maybe, maybe I can do this. So when did that moment come for you? Well, that moment was actually from my friend and he said, you know, Hey, cause I, when I finished school and I was doing that in between finishing school, plus I was still taking care of special needs kids, helping this one family that really needed help. So I didn't want to leave her down, let her down. And, uh, he said, uh, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm graduating. I'm probably going to go ahead and go get a job at Shell. My mom it went back to school herself, got into Shell and was grad. She just retired 32 years now from Shell. Wow. And so she said she could get me a job at the time. And, you know, it was going to be a, a very well-paying job. So I was going to do that. And then he said, hey, you know, what about if I make you a partner on this company that we started basically together and grow it from there? And I said, hmm, well, <laughs> I can be my own boss. I don't have to answer anybody except him. Nice. Said, that, that sounds like a good deal. So that's, I had really not, nothing to lose and everything to gain, to be honest. And that's where the the entrepreneurship bug really bit me, you know, besides the classes mm. that I took and listening to other students and other people that made their businesses and just thinking, you know, what can I do and not really focus too much on it. Cause I was really focused on, you know, I need, what's my next step? What's my next plan? Am I going to get a business? Am I going to go work at a co corporation and get that experience? You know, as a mm -hmm. person that's very new to it, you want to, you, sometimes you, tend to overanalyze your abilities, right? You oh, yeah. underestimate what you should or shouldn't do instead of just going for it. And that's really what I've learned along the way is you just got to go for it. What kept you going through all of these difficult times? You know, because you, you had all the stuff with your, with your own health, you know, getting into two major car accidents. Your dad passes away. You have to go back and get your GED. It sounds like you've done a lot of work you know, just grinding and getting through. What is something that kind of motivated you to keep going? Because a lot of times there's like this light that we can focus on at the end of the tunnel that will help us. What is something that, that was that light for you? Well, I think in that time, um, I had a, a little girl that was part, became mm. part of my life like stepchild basically right at that time. And uh, I think she really motivated. She really did help me motivated me to want to do better as to be a better example, right? Not only to her, but to help myself be better. And so I think that that was a big motivator for me. And, you know, also the fact that nobody really went to college in my family. And I wanted to set an example for the other siblings that I had, I have five siblings underneath me. And I thought, you know, I need to do this so that they can see that, we can do it no matter what we, you know, what, what we've been through mm. or where we've come from. And we shouldn't discredit our abilities or, 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 you know, compare yourself to somebody else because you think that you're not good enough. Right. Life is really what you make it. And back to your point where you said, you know, when you were going to be a nurse, you're going to, I mean, you think about it, you know, one door closed for me, which to me in that moment was devastating, but thank God these other opportunities right. presented themselves because really it was somebody pushing me on the path that I was supposed to be on, not the path that I thought I was supposed to be on. Mm. So speaking of, of kids, uh, when I was looking at your bio, because you've got this wonderful logo behind you uh, <laughs> called Flip Lock for anybody who's watching and those who are not, um, there was a, I think I'm referencing the right event. I think it was the 2018 
uh, Santa Fe incident, a uh, school shooting that kind of made you want to do something, right? <laughs> so that's that's our next number. And I hate to bring it up because I'm a high school teacher myself and school shootings are, they are rough. You know, we all got all kinds of drills and stuff that we got to do, but um, this made you act, right? Because there have been other things that have happened before and other places, but you said this one hit close to home because it's basically right down the street. I take Highway 6, you know, I'm in Santa Fe, you know, so for you, and this is typically how things get done, when something makes a difference for you or for anyone, that's when we start to do something about it. So you got Flip Lock behind you. Tell us about how that event made you want to do something and then what you did with the, what, what we have now. So that event was, of course, all of them are, you know, just sad. Like you said, it's a hard subject to yeah. talk about or even us having to have this conversation. When we were kids, we never thought about this, right? It was never something mm -hmm. we needed to think about or dream that our babies would have to deal with in their schooling, right? It's just really sad. But, you know, as a mom and you see these situations happen, you think, oh, somebody has a solution. It's already been resolved. You don't need to. It's easy to look away and ignore and put it on somebody else's responsibility, right? It's a lot yeah. harder to go, I need to do something. And that's when my husband and I started talking and said, you know, what can we do? What is there? Op what's out there? What's the options? Who, who locks the door? You know, and in that, my daughter, at the, my youngest daughter at the time was in elementary school. And when she came home from school, I asked her, you know, tell me what you do in that situation. I want to know what happens mm -hmm. so that if I ever get that call, I know exactly what you're doing. And she says she's supposed to run into the classroom with her teacher, get against the wall. And the teacher turns off the light. The teacher locks the door. And I said, how do you know if the door is locked? And she said, I don't. I said, can you lock the door? She said, no. I said, what do you do if your teacher's oh. not there? And she said, um, I don't know, mommy. And I said, oh, my gosh, we have a big problem mm. here. That's really when it really moved me to see and start researching. What, 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 what can we do? What are we going to do? And um, right. that's when I talked to my husband and he started coming up with the idea. He's an inventor. Normally, he creates all the time. So he started coming up with this idea. And then when he got one, the original years ago, then we, I said, you know, it needs to be red. It needs to be big. It needs to be something that the kids see on the door ready to go. Why? Because when it's emergency, nobody's thinking, right? Everybody gets in a panic. Right. Sometimes teachers don't go into action. And now they're the only ones that can protect that classroom. That's kind of a disservice. To, that is a disservice to our children. They should have yeah. a device that they see that they can go into action on why, because now they can go back to being students. They don't need to think about what they're going to do. And that's what they're doing at even five years old mm -hmm. from my research. And they don't, mm -hmm. a lot of them don't know what to do if their teacher's not there. And that's scary, you know? And then on, on my, our device, I said it, when you flip it, it drops it, locks, it needs to say call 911. Why? They need to know the next action step. They really do need yep. to know. They're not thinking I have six kids. I know, some of them will, some of them won't. You know what I mean? It's just a different deal. And then in that, okay, what if we, we got boys too? You know, what if one of them wants to be funny and lock it on the teacher? We made an unlocking mechanism right. so that they emergency personnel and everybody can get in. It's simple. It sounds simple, but I think it's even advocating for me. I'm advocating for secondary locks in every classroom that our children can use. I'm advocating for a standardization of the active threat drill because 
it's a fire, it's a fire. We all know what to do. Why is it mm-hmm. that my kid can go to your kid's school or go to your school and not know what to do? Because everywhere we go, it's different. That's not, that's not the world we live in. The reality is it's not changed. It creates chaos. It creates confusion and it creates people that are not calm and relaxed. Our kids, if they, if they hear a fire drill, they know exactly what to do. They've been trained. It needs to be the same for active shooter situations, lockdown drills, whatever way you want to frame it, because this is the world that our kids live in. How did you start off on that? Right. So you have your husband, shout out to the husband. He's an inventor. Like (laughs) that's a whole other topic within itself. Having somebody (laughs) that's an inventor in the home. Right. But he's like, okay, I got this idea, you know, and, and this is me just in my mind running through it as a, as somebody who's married, like, okay, honey, like this is, this is the thing. Like, okay, check this out. Boom. And then y'all see it for the first time. It's like, okay, yes, I think we have something. So, you know, you kind of reshape it. There's a prototype, there's a prototype two and three, and then you finally get it down. What was the next step? As you are like, okay, we have a product. We know it works. We know it's going to help. We know it's a need. We know it can save lives. What is the next step from there? Because now you're looking at like school districts. You know, that's a big thing. You know, we're talking superintendents and principals and people who don't want to make changes and don't want to spend any money. (laughs) Right. So what was the next step for you all as you kind of started on this process? So as a business first, you know, we talk about it from a business perspective. The first thing Mm -hmm, was, mm -hmm. you know, what's the name going to be? You know, we got to make sure we can buy that domain, make sure we own the .com, fliplock.com, all that. And then we go, okay, we really need to patent it because who's going to stop people from stealing our idea? So then that's the next step. And then it's how do we get this into schools? And it's talking to people, going to conferences meeting with superintendents. I've done, I don't know how many zoom meetings with people all over the United States and going to meet with people when they say, Hey, you know, and then making a display box, like people can't get what you're saying unless they see it. So I made a display box, you know, you can see it back there. And so it's a, they can use it. They can manipulate it. They can see how it works. You need to understand how it works. And so it was all that. And then going into schools and, and telling them and, getting approved by, you know, the Illinois school board, getting approved by other states and getting it into, you know, Willard Christian Academy here, Amani school, you know, talking to those headmasters or principals or superintendents that want to make a difference and really Mm -hmm. want to put something like this in. And then for me, because really the mission is really to save lives. The mission is really to get teachers to stay teaching. We don't want all these teachers to quit and to keep our kids feeling they need to have (laughs) They need that peace of mind. I mean, think about it. They're scared. They didn't sign up for this. Wait a minute. You want me to I'm right there with you. And, and, and then I got to, you know, sometimes be a counselor and sometimes I got to help. And then now I got to worry about if somebody comes in my door while I'm teaching. I mean, that's a lot of pressure on one person and giving them the only key to lock the door is really unfair. If you ask me when you have 15 to 20 kids, anybody can go into action. I think that's really what we really need to push because mm-hmm. that will also help the teachers not have that sense of urgency and pressure while they're teaching. I can't imagine trying to teach, trying to watch the door, trying to keep the class orderly. I mean, it's a, it's a full-time orchestra job, right? And it's not easy. Yes, it is. And I think if we could make our teachers jobs easier by giving them the tools to feel empowered, giving their children, the classroom, the tools to feel empowered, then they can go back to doing exactly what they signed up for, which is teaching. And then the kids can go back to learning. 
So what do you do when you have a meeting with somebody and they just don't get it? They're like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, we'll call you, which is, you know, speak <laughs> yeah. for, okay, yep, see you later. Thanks a lot. What do, what do I you do? do? What do I do? And I just say, look, I just hope that you will put something in that will empower your children mm-hmm. to go into action. I think it should be, I, and I tell them, you know, if you change your mind and what the other thing I do is I give them a lifetime warranty. So one time mm-hmm. buy, I don't want you to buy this thing 50 times. I want you to do one time. It's a capital Im- improvement now and you keep it. And I think that when you start talking to parents in schools, if we really wanted to, and I haven't really pushed that out yet, we've been in market to market about six months, seven months, and we've had it uh, about two years, the LLC officially. So it's like, once you start talking to parents, I guarantee you, you have what, 15, 20 kids in your class. How many of them have a cell phone that costs 500 or $1,000? How many of those parents would not be willing to put 20 or $30 to a lock that costs, you know, less than $200 into a classroom? Yeah. I mean, how many? Wow. And then no one is there forever. Right. Um, so that's where, you know, I tell them, you know, there's other ways, you know, but I know right now in Texas, it's kind of a mess, as you know, a bunch of stuff's going on in political field, uh, which I don't touch at all. I don't touch that. And there's mess. I don't touch because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're on this side or this side. Do you have kids? All I want to do is make them safer in school. I want to save lives and I want them to go back to being students, period. So we don't get involved in all that stuff, whatever that looks like. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of things going on here. So I know there's funding coming down the line for Texas schools in general. And when that does, then we want to make sure that we are an option that schools can use to put a safety device in their classrooms. And for me, Having somebody in a wheelchair and having somebody on crutches, being able to use that is very important to me because, as you know, I work with special needs Mm -hmm. kids. And I think that kids in a wheelchair should be able to lock the door as well, not just the people that are mobily, you know, capable. Right. Who would have thought, like, when you got that business degree (laughs) and you were going to school in entrepreneurship classes, that you would be putting this together, like something. Man, life is life is a journey. Okay, so. I think I will be doing you a disservice here by only talking about flip lock because as a serial entrepreneur, you've done a lot of different things. Okay. So our next number is going to be a lot. Okay. I know it's not formal soon. Okay. But you have, uh, this business. So when I saw a rock star, uh, property, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, real estate. A lot of people get into real estate. Sounds good. Great name. Rockstar wigs. I was like, okay, hold on, wait a second, time out. So how did you how do you how do you figure out what business you want to get into? Because okay, Fliplock jumped right out at you with the the need, and then you got the property, and now you got the wigs thing and, and whatever other else you have going on. How do you figure out what businesses to start? and sink your time into so for rockstar wigs it was interesting it was actually uh my husband's brother which is my brother-in-law he had this idea and it was basically a different company it was a hard and gothic lolita wigs and it was really long and it wasn't doing so well for him and mm-hmm. but his wigs were really you know uh you could heat them style them and curl them up to 365 degrees and so we saw the value right. in them and we really wanted to help him so we kind of came in we came in and we said uh my husband said the the name is whack. Nobody's going to remember Gothic Lolita wigs. We got to go Rockstar wigs. So we changed it to Rockstar wigs. 
And it went from being a mom and pop shop, basically, to being in over 2000 stores, including, you know, at the time, Party City was, you know, really up and moving. And wow. now they're, they're not doing so well, but that's a lot of COVID, right? Um, and mm-hmm. really just deciding, okay, what can we do with this business? And what can, you know, how can we grow it? And what are the, what would that look like? You know, and so in that, at the time it was doing really well, you know, everybody was getting together and then COVID happened. Right. And so it's like, okay, then when do you decide, I don't want to put my time into this business is basically, you know, Mm. on a wing and a prayer. And we need to just kind of let that one, we still have it. Um, you know, but it's not my focus because it's just not something that's viable with my amount of time that I put in. I shouldn't, I just can't see the numbers working. So I don't focus Mm -hmm. on it, but I do still have it. So Rockstar Wigs was really a brainchild of my brother-in-law, Charles, and then my husband and I, you know, helping and then going, okay, how can we get it big and go everywhere? And we did, took it in all these stores, over 2000, an international brand as well. I mean, was featured on Drag Race more than once. Uh, We make wigs privately for Disney still to this day. Um, So it's just a very renowned name and what we've created with that Mm -hmm. brand. You know, but it's just the wigs are a very hard business in the world we live in today, you know. <laughs> a lot of wigs out there. And like yeah. one thing you just said as a as a as a businesswoman, as a business owner, like you gotta kinda know where to put your time, what's working, what's not working so great. And when you said that we it's still there, right? And I think of this analogy of the back burner, when people talk about using the back burner, right? That stuff's still cooking. Right. It's still simmering. It's still in practice. It's still going to be used. We're still going to need that food that's on the back burner. Okay. <laughs> but it's just not a getting the same kind of attention as the things that are on the front burner, which so I think that's a really good analogy, especially as a business person who has multiple businesses. So let's talk about property. So that's always something, especially now, like everybody's like, oh, real estate, real estate. You got to own real estate. Da 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 da. Okay. So. How did you get into into that part? Well, that was also something my husband and I, he had been in real estate for a long time. He actually started his business when he was 18, still going today. Wow. And uh, he had real estate investments and holdings. And so him and I, we did our first real estate deal together. Uh, we bought a big building and uh, it was really a dump. I'm not going to lie. My husband is a visionary. I'm not a visionary. So he took <laughs> it and remodeled it and... We, you know, got a good price for it because nobody wanted it, right? It's like going to the clearance sale of the store. Nobody wants that stuff, but, you know, yeah, <laughs> that was us. <laughs> we bought it and, you know, he went in with his vision and really turned it into Rockstar Property, which mm. is like a staple in the area. There's nothing around like it. And after he did his magic, then we were at 5% occupancy when we bought it, to put it that way, which is not very much. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. So like I said, nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to be there either. <laughs> And it was Rockstar property because we moved Rockstar wigs in there on some of the bottom part, mm. but it was a big building. And we, I was like, okay, if you, you know, let's do it. Whatever he does, I'll support and vice versa. So I'm like, whatever, we're, we're going to go all in. Like I told you before, yeah. I'm a hundred or I'm not at all. So we went in, he did his magic. And then he said, okay, now fill it up. And I was like, okay. So I did, I think in 18 months, I filled it up to a hundred percent occupancy and I was not the cheapest wow. in the world. So we're Rockstar. You want to be in Rockstar property? This is what it is. But you're in Rockstar. And you'll be a Rockstar. So um, that was, I think, really what really helped us, you know, was creating this energy of a building that was just 
something unique. People don't want to go to a boring office building, you know, and a lot of people are changing those right. now, right? So that was really something that we did that really helped us at that time. And, and mm. it really was a great business because we did really well and do really well in real estate. So y'all are pioneers. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get to our last what here. Um, I'm sorry, our last part, which is the three what's. There we go. And so I asked these three what's to every person that comes on the show. You could go however long or however short you want with these answers. Uh, so totally open to you. So what number one, what's an opinion that you have that would be considered unpopular? An unpopular opinion? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be too deep. It doesn't have yeah. to be political. It could be something very easy. You know, some people are like, oh, I got to think of the, the most, the hottest take. I'm like, you don't, if you don't want to. <laughs> so that's a, a preface there. Hmm. Well, I think, you know, it could be said that with, you know, flip lock me making this a business that sometimes people can look at mm -hmm. it as an unpopular thing because they're saying, you know, oh, you know, you're doing this because of, you know, you know, you want to create a business around it. But the truth is, you know, I'm really trying to save lives. So if you think about something where right. people are losing their lives, people have died, you know, really serious and heavy, heavy subject to touch. It can be an unpopular topic of conversation even. Mm. I, every um, nonprofit is a business, mm -hmm. even though people don't look at them that way kind of knowing stuff about business. My degree is actually in business as well. Um, yeah, they're all business. They all have operating expenses. They all have people they have to pay. They all have money that they're trying to bring in, whether it's from donors, whether it's from the government, right? Those are all, UNICEF is a business, okay, guys? So somebody has to offer the service that people need and that has to be funded some way. So get off, uh, everybody can get off of that. So... <laughs> So flip lock, yes, it's a business, but it's also saving lives there. Okay, what number two? Oh, this is good. If you weren't doing, let's say if you weren't an entrepreneur, and I may already know the answer to this question, what would you be doing? I wasn't an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. No flip lock, no wigs, no property. You got to change everything that you do. I what would, would it be? taking care of special needs children. I think that's mm. what I would be doing. Because when I first started our businesses years ago, I told my husband, I really want to have a foster home for special needs, but a big one, right? Where we can bring them all in, you know, all the kids that are in handicapped. And he was like, honey, please, <laughs> so that's a big ask. Let's, there's, foundation, there's companies that are already doing that. Let's support them. And that's yes. what we do now. Man. I, I just think about accessibility, you know, you got to have the right kind of stuff. I could see you being a teacher, honestly. <laughs> I could. I, I, I want to go back and mentor, you know, students at my schools that I came from, my elementary, mainly my mm. middle school, to tell them, you know, that there are people like myself that can get out of whatever situation they're in, that they feel that there's no hope and give them hope. Yeah. What do you think? Um, now I'm going off script here. What do you think is next for you as an, as an entrepreneur? Like, what do you think the next thing is? Cause I know you're always looking for that next business idea. You know, the wheels are always turning. Um, 
I think that I think right now my focus is flip lock, and I think the next step is really, ad, mm-hmm. like I said, advocating for standardization of active threat drills in the schools, which would be like a fire alarm type deal, and not just in schools. I would even take it a step further and say I would like it to be nationally. If you go to an event, which I'm sure you do, you've been in a hotel, you're up on the second or third floor. If somebody comes in and is shooting or doing something that you shouldn't be doing, how are we going to be alerted? Right. But there is no alert. Where are we going to find out when they're up where we are? So I want to mm. advocate and I want, I think that's going to be my next uh, transition is really stepping more into uh, making change for our community and for our kids. Wow. Well said. Okay. Last what? Speaking of kids, <laughs> what advice would you give to someone in high school? So much like you were when you got out. A- Literally got out of the house. I still can't believe that. Um, What advice would you give to that child? 14 to 18, 19 years old, maybe just graduating. Yeah, 14 to 18. I say, you know, 14, I would say, you know, it's going to get better. It gets easier Mm. to keep doing your do your best. And that's the only thing you can do. And if college is not your path, college doesn't have to be the end all be all. Find your thing Mm. that you're really good at. And really focus on it and become the best in that thing because that thing can make you a successful business owner. You know, if, Mm. you know, you want me to give you an example, my husband says, you know, when I was little, I told my dad, I'm going to be, you know, successful and I want to be rich or whatever. And his dad's, and he says, dad said, okay, you can do anything and you can be anything. What would you be? And he said, oh, being sarcastic, I'm going to be a trash man. And he said, okay, son, guess what? This man started three trucks in his neighborhood, did this, did that. He's now an international company and they call his company waste management. And so just never give up on your dream. I don't care what other people say. I think the most important advice is don't listen to anybody. I'm going to tell you the one thing I learned when they read me my last right, they told me I wasn't going to live past today, tomorrow, whatever that Mm. looked like. I looked to my left and I looked to my right and guess what? Nobody was coming with me. I looked down and they cut all my clothes off and I had no jewelry and all that stuff didn't matter. What really matters Mm. is who you are and what you leave behind as a person. So try to leave things better than you found them. Try to don't listen to people because sometimes people, I call them a bucket of crabs are trying to pull you down. You don't want, want, don't do that. Do your own thing. And you know what? If you fail, then you try. If you don't ever try, you can't ever do anything. Wow. Well said. Okay, Anna, you've given us all this wonderful information. You've told us your story, which is amazing. We are really just kind of scratching the surface here. I know there's tons of other stuff that you could talk about, but if people want to find you and they want to find Fliplock and they want to learn more about who you are, this is where you tell them, how can they find you? What can they do? They can go to fliplock.com and that's F-L-I-P-L-O-K.com and they can go to our media page and learn about more about myself. They can go to our school safety page and learn more about school safety. Um, if they want to follow me personally, I just started. So don't judge uh, Anna Rieger official on Instagram and Facebook. Hmm. I'm you know, new to this. So I'm working on getting myself out there and more trying to get more people to follow and uh, be yeah. a part of my mission. Wow. Ramble nation. That's another one for the books. And we couldn't have done the countdown to triumph and success without you. 
If you're new to the nation, we drop episodes every Monday. And you can stay in touch with the show and the community through the IG at The Living Numbers Podcast. Thank you all, and I will see you next week.